Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Okay, before we jump in, I just want to let you guys know that I'm working with a new insurance provider. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out more. I started talking about insurance with my clients maybe a year or so ago, and I was so surprised, to be honest, when we started going through things and talking to people and they'd say, yeah, our healthcare in the United States costs us $20,000, $22,000 a year. I was like, whoa, that is unbelievable. Actually, by being an expat, not only can you reduce your cost of living because your rent or your mortgage is less and and food is less and transport is less, but also your insurance is less. So if you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance, you're going to be able to find out what I'm talking about. They have worldwide coverage if you're an expat or a digital nomad, so you can actually travel with the insurance. It's going to cover you around the world, and you can probably expect to pay maybe a third, maybe a quarter of what you're paying now. And I mean, me and my family are on this program and we get inpatient, outpatient, full drug plan, zero deductible, dental, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's really like a platinum level plan and it's all included in this. So if you guys are living overseas, even if you have insurance right now, you might want to look at changing. I'm really stoked to be working with this company. And all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. That's it. Okay. Let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe. This is the Expat Money Show. And today we are very fortunate we have a returning guest. You know, after five, six years of doing this show, I think I've only had two or three people who I've actually invited back for a second time. Not only is our guest today coming back for a second time, but we've actually done, I don't know, a half a dozen YouTube videos together and so much other work. And he came and visited me here in Panama. We've been friends for a couple of years. We're building the relationship and I'm really excited to welcome back Sven Lawrence. Sven, welcome. I'm so happy to have you. Hi, Mikael. It's great to be back. Thanks for the nice introduction. My pleasure. Well, I also had to have you back. Two main reasons. First of all, because I love the way your brain works and I love to be able to ask you questions and get your opinion and everything like that. But on a second note, our last episode together was about Russian equities and how to make massive profits from Russian equities. So I want to maybe kick off the episode by talking a little bit about that because at the moment that's not working out and we're going to get into all of the reasons why and a lot of the other economic problems or ramifications you could say about this war with Ukraine. So maybe catch us up a little bit on what our thesis was last time and how it's playing out right now. So when we spoke last time, we discussed in quite some detail the investment thesis that Russian equities are an absolute bargain because you could buy cheap cash flow for valuations that simply you couldn't find anywhere else in the world. And you would get dividend deals that were without equal anywhere else in the world. Russian stocks paid dividend deals of 10%, 15%, sometimes even 20%. And I've been an investor in Russian equities since I believe the late 90s, probably 97 And I've struck many a successful bargain in Russia, and the country has treated me very well. And one of my better known calls was to go back into Gazprom in late 2018. Gazprom is the largest energy company, obviously, in Russia. 
And the readers of my website bought into Gazprom at extremely advantageous conditions. The stock price more than doubled. We got very high dividend yields. And on the back of that, a lot of people were interested in what other stocks are there that I could invest in to get exposure to the Russian market. We discussed this in detail on your show. And in retrospective, of course, as everyone will have figured out by now, this has been extremely unfortunate timing because of the unbelievable, terrible war that has broken out in Ukraine. And Russian stocks have effectively been banned from being traded. If you have a broker where you look up Russian stocks, whether they're traded on Western exchanges or on the Moscow Stock Exchange, you will find you can't even buy or sell these stocks anymore. There are sanctions in place. Everything has come to a halt. The stocks mostly dropped 90% in the days leading up to the stop in trading. In people's portfolios, they're now marked with a zero. So it has been quite simply a disaster. It's probably not a complete loss in the sense that at some point, hopefully, as we all hope, this terrible war will come to an end and some kind of normality will return. And these companies are still there. But how it all works out politically right now, no one can tell. Dividend payments are stopped. There are the extreme currency fluctuations right now. The ruble has been devalued. So bottom line, we've done this video at it was terrible timing. The case was valid at the time, but with the invasion of Ukraine, the entire situation has simply been completely changed and we got caught out. I was actually quite surprised that they crossed the border. I didn't think that that was going to happen, or if it was going to happen, it was not going to be so quick. I know that they were quite open that if you continue to build missile silos there and biological weapon facilities and invite them into NATO, on the doorstep that he would cross the border. But I have to say, I was actually a bit surprised he actually did it, that he actually followed through. You and pretty much every other Russia expert or Russian equity expert, I know a lot of people in this industry, and frankly, with very, very few exceptions, hardly anyone saw this coming to the extent that it has now happened, including the enormous backlash from the West. Sanctions such as the ones we're seeing now are entirely unprecedented. There's also a very considerable social media component. This is now the Western public being mobilized to support a whole variety of economic and financial sanctions that the world, frankly, has never seen before. No one saw that coming. I think outside of commiserating for a moment that we might have done an investment that we shouldn't have made at the time, the only way is to look forward now and to evaluate how is the world going to change. And terrible as any war is, the world does have to continue and we need to make investments and the economy has to function. So much as we're not here to profit from war as such, we just have to adjust and plan for what the new situation will be. And that's obviously a terrifically complex subject, but it's also fascinating because the world's not going to be the same anymore. This changes a lot possibly even more so than COVID. That's not a thesis I would nail my name to just yet. But in terms of the gravity of developments that we're seeing right now, all bets are off. And I'm not even referring to, to risk of a nuclear war, and I don't believe that will happen. But the ramifications from this are going to be massive, broad, unprecedented in scale, but will also create new opportunities. And that's what we also have to look for. And I think that's what we have more control over. And this is what we really need to focus on going forward. So a couple of points on that. Yes, I know that the term profiteer is not a very nice one, but I will come forward and say that I have made a lot of money on this. I've been following a gentleman named Richard Mayberry for many years. He's been massively influential in my life. He's a libertarian thought leader. He actually came on the show probably about five years ago, and I've been subscribed to Early Warning Report, his newsletter for years and years and years. And he often talks about the surest bet in the whole wide world is defense stocks, because you can always know and understand that politicians will want to inflict power on others and they will spend taxpayers' dollars and they will buy, 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 buy ships and airplanes and tanks and everything like that. So I already had a portfolio of defense stocks. And in the last two weeks, I mean, it's skyrocketed over 20% on pretty much everything that I own in that. So now I would happily give every single penny of that back and be completely wrong and have no profit and bring back any of the lives that we've lost in Ukraine. But that's not the reality of the situation, and I can't wave a magic wand on all these types of things. I think the defense industry is really an interesting and a challenging one to invest in as a libertarian, because I am a peaceful person. But whether you buy or sell Lockheed Martin or 
any of these types of shipbuilders or any of the ones that are profiting by building up assets in the South China Sea, that's not actually going to affect whether it gets built or not built. Your $10,000 or $100,000 or even millions of dollars that you put into, none of that actually matters. It doesn't actually affect the war effort whatsoever. So it's something that a lot of people don't understand. And I, and I also say this because in one of our videos you and I did together, we talked about crisis investing in Argentina and scooping up assets on the cheap in Argentina. And I had literal hate mail from people. These poor Argentinians, you know, they're just trying to live their life and you're in there raping the country. And it's like, no, we're buying shares on the secondary market. The country needs foreign direct investment. They actually need foreign currencies into the country. This is not just going around to farmers and buying their land out from underneath them on pennies on the dollar. I mean, these are publicly traded companies that we're investing in here. And exactly the same with the defense industry. Yes, and there are so many themes that you can play here. Argentina is the one that I pointed out to my readers a year ago. There is a New York Stock Exchange listed agricultural company based out of Argentina, which is called Crisud. And the share price of that has doubled in the last couple of weeks because suddenly food prices are going through the roof. I wrote about this company a year ago from the angle of this is a hedge against inflation and against food prices going up and potentially as a bonus aspect thrown in for good measure. South America is somewhat of a safe haven in its own way. It's certainly far away from many of the hotspots of this world, far away from the Middle East and from Eastern Europe and Russia and Ukraine. And I also wrote specifically that Argentina might be coming out of the tunnel when the rest of the world is heading into the tunnel. And little did I know how prophetic that was. I spoke earlier to an, one of our readers and he mentioned to me that, yes, he has Gazprom and that's currently in his portfolio with a value of zero. But he also bought Crisud and that has made up for it. So it once again shows you need to have a diversified portfolio and you need to look at the entire world rather than to just be limited to your home country. I know of people in Russia and the wider Eastern European region who over the last three weeks have lost everything. They've lost their entire life savings. And had they diversified, as you also, you know, you are a big proponent of, had they diversified their investments around the world and looked beyond the limits of their own home country, things would look a lot better for them now. And I think this is one of the key lessons here. We're back in a day and age when people can lose everything within a short period of time. And this used to be the reality and a, a real risk for pretty much anyone up to, say, the 1940s. And then from the 1950s to probably the 2010s, we lived in this very peaceful and very stable period when losing everything was not really a concept or a risk that you had to worry about. But suddenly, you know, we had this great financial crisis in 2008. We now have this crisis. We had COVID, which wiped out millions of business owners. No doubt. You have to secure your position against tail risks. And one of the ways to secure yourself against these tail risks is diversification and also to look at entirely new parts of the world that maybe you previously didn't look at. But countries like Brazil and Argentina could now turn out to be supporting the world in avoiding a food crisis. And there will be companies that will make money of it. Whether you own shares in these companies or not, it will happen. So you may as well be part of it rather than to have this work against you. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's go back a little bit as well, because you had mentioned that this could be even bigger than COVID, the ramifications of this. Now, do you think that is because we're talking about war in Europe and we really haven't seen war in Europe since World War II, which is just mental to, to kind of think about. It's not that war doesn't exist on planet Earth and there's many wars happening in the world. But so do you think this is like the big weight, like why people are so upset about this because it's in the back door or is it other things that we should be thinking about? Personally, I don't really see the risk of a wider war in Europe. Okay. What I believe is a much more likely outcome, and we're obviously all trying to figure this out right now. What I think is a much more likely outcome is that the deck chairs on the cruise ship will be rearranged in a way unlike anything we've seen before. We are probably now living through a period of deglobalization. We lived through decades of globalization, and now countries are basically moving the opposite direction and trying to become more independent and not be so reliant on other nations. We're seeing this in the energy market now. 
rightly or wrongly, countries are wondering whether they should invest more into renewable energy or whether they should start fracking again. And the map of the global energy industry will be redrawn for sure. And the energy industry is one of the largest industries in the entire world. So, I mean, that alone is a significant outcome. We are somewhat detached in our day-to-day lives from the energy industry because we're used to just switching on the light and it works and we're used to having heating. That may not be a given anymore in the future, just the way that we're used to it. And I've just filled up my oil tank again because I want to be secure against any supply disruptions. And we will see many changes in industries such as energy, food. You have this whole issue of countries being reliant on very few nations for semiconductors, for spare parts, for aeroplanes. And how will policymakers deal with these dependencies? Keep in mind that, and in a way, this is something that everyone probably has become much more aware of over the last couple of weeks. Russia is one of the world's biggest suppliers of just about any commodity you can think of. Oil, gas, various metals, coal. Russia has loads of it. And this is what the world needs. And when people harp on about, oh, yeah, we'll just invest into renewable energy. All I can say is, well, try doing that without having commodities, because renewable energy is is not a software. That's stuff you have to produce, and you need commodities for that. And one of the most interesting sentences I've read in the last two weeks is that we may be moving to a world where suddenly it's not the countries with tech that are ruling the waves, but it's the countries with commodities that are ruling the waves. We're really not at the end of this. And the media is currently telling us that Russia is losing the war and Putin has lost his mind and, you know, Russia is at the end of it. I'm saying, you know, uh, just wait and see how it all works out with regards to our dependency on Russian commodities. We may be in a much worse position than we currently are made believe. And again, what are the investment implications of this? What are the personal implications for this in terms of where do you want to live? How do you want to secure your family against the risk of being in a country with severe and constant energy shortages and possibly not being able to heat anymore? These are real and viable questions. I think these are more likely to be something that you have to deal with in the foreseeable future than an actual war in Europe. I I see that as a much lower risk. Well, I do want to get into really in-depth, especially about the energy sector and the food and things like this. I just want to make one kind of point before we move on. When I've seen all of these sanctions unravel in front of us and be rolled out, it really reminds me of the cancel culture. They took this idea of cancel culture, like they canceled Aunt Jemima, they canceled Uncle Ben's, they canceled so many types of things. And that's what they're doing now with a country, like on a global scale. I've seen now McDonald's has closed down, don't quote me on the exact number, but 780 restaurants across Russia. And all of these big conglomerate brands don't want to have anything to do with it. They've stopped Swift. I was reading an email that came in from Upwork. Upwork is a company where you can hire freelancers around the world. And the CEO had the, or, or felt like it was necessary to send out an email to say that they will no longer allow Russians to work on the platform or to hire people on the platform. They're stopping all payments and all contracts. So that's not just going after, okay, Putin or his cronies or something like that. That's going against just every normal Russian. But it's not even happening just in Russia. We have friends of ours, a husband and wife couple. He's German, she's Russian. And they came over here to visit me for my birthday last week. And her credit cards have been blocked. Her bank accounts have been blocked, everything. If her husband was Russian instead of German, they would have nothing. They would have no options, no ability to pay for anything. And she has a seven-year-old son. Luckily, her husband is German. So they can rely on his bank accounts. But think about like the ramifications of something like that, of what you're doing to the people. I mean, I have other friends that are in Thailand and they're literally stranded. Like they have no way of accepting funds. They can't pay for their hotel stay or their Airbnb stay, nothing like that, just because they were born in one country and the cancel culture is after them. This is insane. And I've never seen anything like that. Like we didn't see this with bombing in Yemen. We're not seeing this with Syria. We didn't see this with Afghanistan. We didn't see it with Iraq. We didn't see it with so many other countries. So why is it happening now? Welcome to 1984. Welcome to the new world order. I've been saying these things for years and I have been going on 
endlessly about the risks of cancel culture since 2016, when cancel culture started on social media. Sort of in around 2016, they started to cancel a lot of people on social media for saying the wrong thing. And at the time, this was applauded by most people because, oh, you shouldn't say that, you know, and that's perfectly right to cancel such a social media account. And I said, well, you know, you just wait for them to come for you one day, because if you allow one such thing to happen, it will only ever escalate. And we move from cancel culture on social media to cancel culture in, uh, well, entire publications got taken off the internet. We subsequently saw cancel culture in the finance industry where people had their bank accounts closed down or were refused banking relationships because of their political views being perceived to be the wrong ones. Now we are at a stage where not just entire countries can be cancelled, but everyone who happens to have a passport of that country and, and may live somewhere else in the world. And I mean, I have a German passport, but I haven't lived in Germany in 24 years. So, you know, if Germany did something nasty and sanctions were imposed on Germany, I would be caught in that as well, even though I haven't really been in the country for 24 years as a resident. And people also very much laughed at you when you said, you know, we need to keep cash and we need to defend cash because with cash, you have control over your finances. Well, you know, if once you've moved to an all electronic payment system, then all that needs to happen is that someone takes a disliking to you and at the push of a button, you are cancelled financially, you stop to exist, you lose access to your account, you lose all your savings. And this is the world we're now living in. We've, we've been heading into this direction for years. Most people didn't care or they were secretly applauding it because they thought it's hitting the right people. Now it's obvious, and this was always going to happen, it's obvious that it can hit anyone for any reason and destroy your life. And this gives huge power to politicians. We all know what politicians and countries get up to. And this is the world we sadly now live in. And if you haven't come up with a plan B yet, and you don't have options in your life, you know, if you can't use a bank in country A anymore, then you hopefully have a bank account in country B. If you don't have this entire setup, <laughs> and all I can say is, you know, I'm glad you're at least listening to the expat money show because you know, Mikael, you, you're helping people to come up with these plans and solutions and to diversify their life and make sure that risks such as these can't suddenly wipe out their entire existence. And that's what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. The diversification has to happen on a much deeper level. The diversification can't just be stocks and bonds and maybe a little bit of real estate. I mean, you do have to go down the rabbit hole. You have to start looking at these things because look at it. Look at the Canadian truckers and what happened there and the freezing bank accounts in Canada. Like if it can happen in Canada, trust me, it can happen anywhere in the world. The closing of borders in Australia during COVID and people not being able to leave their front porch like that's not so if people are not getting prepared right now i really don't know what else has to happen in the world for them to see that you can't put it off you can't you know next month next year six months whatever it might be no it's like today you actually have to make a step whether that be contact me and work with me or or just even educating yourself like downloading i don't know what we've done what 189 episodes of this podcast now Download all 189 of them and start going through them. Listen to them at two times speed and take notes because there is so much information in this show. We have a backlog of six years worth of content of helping people to move offshore and be expats. Anyways, I digress. I want to talk about the ramifications. That's, that's really the thing. Let's go into on the energy sector first. Now, I watched a press release from the European Union. I can't remember who the speaker was, but he was saying that they wanted Europe to be energy independent, three quarters energy independent and off of Russia's natural gas and oil by the end of 2022. And while he was saying it, he was sweating. Like he was like, well, I hope we can do this. I think we can do this. It's going to be hard, <sighs> really hard, but, but I believe we can do it. And it was like, there's no way you can do this. Like, this is absolutely insanity. You're never going to be able to do this because, and, and the first thing that, that I thought about was our conversation that you and I had about Germany and nuclear power from 10 years ago, 11 years ago, where they made the declaration that they're going to go off of nuclear power. And, you know, like, where are we there? That's been 11 years. And now in the next nine months, eight months, they want to take us off of reliance on natural gas and oil from Russia. Yes. Which project run by a government has ever been delivered on time and on budget? <laughs> Usually it's 
you know, the budget comes out three times higher and it's 17 years delayed. Germany is the perfect example. It's the wealthiest, best organized major industrial nation in Europe. They come up with this identity defining policy of getting out of nuclear energy. I mean, this is really something that the Germans have taken to heart and stopping nuclear energy was a big part of German politics for over 10 years. And it, it had literally unlimited resources available to it. And they failed on such a big level to get this done. And we've just come out of COVID. Nations have loaded up even more on debt. Significant parts of the workforce have left the corporate world and everyone is struggling to find competent employees and people have gone freelance and are working you know, somewhere else on their laptop. And in this situation, these countries are now trying to tell me that at the drop of a hat, they're now going to make it all happen to make the continent energy independent or three quarters energy independent. I mean, this stuff is delusional. Frankly, I mean, I do wonder at times who's even still watching any of these mainstream media outlets that are yeah, perpetuating no these messages and are passing them on as if this was the gospel and as if these people had any chance of succeeding. But coming to a more immediate and relevant aspect of this, it also means that we will probably see further surprise developments later this year. We're now in this period of hype where the West is all pumped about, yes, we've just closed down all 780 McDonald's restaurants. We're really giving it to the Russians. And I'm not so sure whether a little bit further down the road, the West might come out looking like they really overdid it on the sanctions and they've shot themselves in the foot. It's very hard to quantify. So I read a lot of research, as, as you know. I basically spend my days looking at research from investment banks and independent research houses. And everyone is still trying to figure out this entire thing. No one has clarity on it. And there are probably quite a few potential surprises in there. So one of the most interesting things I just read today is that, so we're all now wondering what happens if the West stops buying particularly oil from Russia. And it would seem on the surface that suddenly a significant percentage of the oil supply of the world is then just simply taken out of the equation. When actually what could happen is that Russia simply sells the oil to China and they sell it on to the rest of the world. And it's more a process of moving around things and it becomes more expensive for the West and someone else is just having a good laugh about it because they say, you know, we can't believe our luck. We're being given this arbitrage opportunity. We buy all this Russian oil. Oil is not identifiable in terms of its origin. It's just black stuff in barrels, basically. And we just might end up realizing at some stage that the West, for lack of a better word, is making some countries terrifically wealthy and is hitting its own middle class with this more than anything else. And this is not a political statement. This is just a, a very objective, neutral economic analysis. How this all works out remains to be seen, but I think there'll be surprises and it doesn't look particularly good right now for Western Europe and for the United States. I think the middle class in these countries, anyone who's paying taxes, is going to be hit to a much larger extent than people expect. And just the amount of interest I've received in the last two weeks from people who are trying to move the, to the Channel Islands, which is where I live, is extraordinary, which means more productive people, usually the, the above average productive people, are going to leave these countries and leaving behind those who are not actually generating that much, this has the potential to become a much bigger mess than is currently visible. And I can only give people the advice to, you know, if you're considering to leave the United States or leaving the, you know, usual suspects in Western Europe, do it soon because you never know how long you can actually leave your country. We've been in a situation recently where suddenly countries close their borders. You know, that could happen for other reasons as well. So if you're considering to get out of there, do it sooner rather than later. Well, on that same note, the European Union really is shooting themselves in the foot because a lot of my work that I do is immigration work. And there is a lot of things happening behind the scenes that most people wouldn't know. Vanuatu has had a suspension of their visa-free travel to the Schengen zone. Vanuatu is one of the biggest citizenship by investment programs in the world. I've helped a bunch of clients go through it before. And now if your passport was issued after 2015, which is really when the citizenship by investment boomed in Vanuatu, you can now no longer enter the Schengen zone. And the reasons are absolutely ludicrous. And now they're coming after other programs. They're coming after Malta by the citizenship by investment. They're coming after Portugal. They're coming after the five Caribbean countries, all of these types of things. So 
there are ways that countries are staying independent and raising money from non-tax dollars. And Europe wants to ruin them, basically. I mean, they have all these things like, oh, they're, they're criminals and they're Russian oligarchs and they're money launderers and drug dealers and things like that. I mean, there's so much KYC AML. Walking through my clients on these types of things is so much work. And if you do get caught lying on these types of things, you get your citizenship revoked anyways. So there is a clawback period on these things. And with a lot of these countries, there's been no proof that there are any criminals have gone through. We did see some bribery being done in Cyprus a few years ago when that was canceled. That was a, a unique situation. But all of these other ones, they're more or less quite clean programs. And now they want to take Europe off, off the board. They're drawing these borders around Europe and it just really seems like they are shooting themselves in the foot. Because right now we're, we're recording this, it's springtime and the weather is getting warmer. But what happens if Russia decides to cancel right back and stop any oil exports to Europe? And a couple of months from now, we get into winter time. How are you gonna heat your home? Like I wouldn't wanna be in Germany or Sweden or some of these countries in the middle of winter without being able to heat my home. Okay, let's just take a quick break. All right, guys, expatschool.io, we are live. We are running classes right now. If you have kids ages 8 to 19, if you've been thinking about education for your family, if you have grandkids or nieces or nephews or neighbors or anybody who might benefit from this, go to expatschool.io. The new program, the new school is called Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. I am building it with my very good friend, Michael Strong. He was on episode 115 of the podcast and we really hit it off. I had a pretty terrible experience in my education in my life, and I don't want other kids to go through it. If you do not agree with what is happening in the school systems today, if you don't want mask mandates, if you don't want all of this type of rubbish, then you guys check out expatschool.io. You're going to be able to book a call with us if it makes sense for your family. Then we're going to make an invitation and you guys can join the school. It's an amazing program. This could possibly be the best thing I have ever done with my life. I am so excited about it. We're going to be able to help so many families. You're going to be hearing about it more on the podcast. You're going to hear about it more on the newsletter and definitely in our private group. So go to expatschool.io and get involved. Okay, let's jump back into today's interview. So one of my favorite images to come out of all of this recently is that of a German protester holding up a sign which said, I'd rather freeze than send money to Putin, to which I only can say two years ago, I had my boiler collapsed on a weekend and I was sitting in a cold home for 48 hours. And I can tell you that it's completely immobilizing. You can't get any work done. And I mean, being cold is extraordinarily unpleasant. And I just want to see these virtual signaling people to actually face the possibility of not having their homes heated anymore. And that would very quickly change their mind. But it just goes to show the level of delusion that the West, speaking very broadly now, has reached and that demonstrators like this are actually celebrated in, in large parts of the mainstream media. And it's very interesting to see how this is perceived in other parts of the world. So just a week ago, I was in Dubai, and I'm saying this as someone who's not the biggest fan of Dubai. I hadn't been there since 2008. I know Dubai, I followed it for many years. I went there pretty much before anyone else went there, before it became fashionable. And it's been extraordinary to see what kind of boom there's going on right now. I struggled to find a hotel room. I tried to book a hotel room with a week lead time in downtown, and there was one hotel left that had some availability. When you're there, the place has an extraordinary energy and you can literally feel the influx of capital of people from all over the world. Dubai has just somewhat revolutionary agreed to change its work week to Monday to Friday. I know, it's crazy. <laughs> which for a Muslim country is crazy revolutionary decision, but just goes to show that Dubai has joined the League of World Cities now. It is a viable, accepted place with critical mass, and it's accepting, among other things, Russian residents at an extraordinary pace, and they've got enough space to accommodate them. They're just building more stuff. And lots of money is being made there. People are enjoying their lives. They are getting away from the downsides of Western culture. 
and they get into an, an environment where I would say they can just focus on their lives, on their families, on their business, on their interests. I have to say that, and this sounds terribly selfish, but I have to say that being in Dubai was a breath of fresh air in amidst all this you know, terrible period that we're going through because it felt like you got a sense of normality back. And this is a huge competitive advantage that other countries in the world have right now. And, you know, real estate investments, investments in venture capital, it's all going very well in some parts of the world. And that will only be accelerated now. And sadly, the outflow of productive, affluent, highly educated people from Western Europe and the United States is just going to accelerate now. There's, there's just no way this is not going to happen. Yeah. I lived in the UAE. I, I was in Abu Dhabi about an hour's drive from Dubai. Same, same country, different city. I was there for eight years from 2011 to 2019. I came in when oil was, I don't know, $100 a barrel and left when it was a lot. Well, actually, I saw it dip all the way down to the bottom of the bottom, bottom of the barrel, and started to see it come back up. And now at $100 a barrel, I can understand how it would be growing so fast and the energy that was there because that really reminds me when you speak about what it was like when I first moved to that country. But we saw so much development, amazing country, fantastic people, rich culture, expats from all over the world. And by the way, it is 100% tax-free and super, super safe. You can have an amazing life there. You don't have to worry about your safety. Big fan of the UAE. Yeah. And it also has some interesting stock markets in the region. And something I wanted to mention earlier, actually, when we spoke also about citizenships and the risks of being cancelled. So something that popped up on Bloomberg the other day is that rumor has it the Chinese are negotiating to buy stakes in major Russian companies, Gazprom and the others. They would obviously purchase this at extraordinarily low valuations right now. Yes, that is an interesting investment to look at. But right now, you could only you know, participate in this probably if you are, for example, Chinese or you have access to a Chinese brokerage account. And there you go, you know, having multiple passports and being able to diversify your bank accounts beyond the West, I think is an extraordinarily important aspect to consider in years to come. Oh, absolutely. My wife is from mainland China. We have bank accounts there. We own a number of properties there. We're fully set up. We've got cash over there. <laughs> we even have clothes and furniture and everything like that. So I take my diversification so far and I hedge my bets so much that I want to absolutely make sure that I'm set up in China. We were supposed to be getting set up in Russia. They were going to be doing a residency by investment, possibly even a citizenship by investment. I'm not sure if that's going to proceed or not, but I think having assets on the other side of these walls that are going up is just smart because yes, it's like, okay, you can have, you can be set up in Canada, the US and Mexico, but that's not really so diversified, you know, or it's like, okay, yeah, you're in the European Union and you have a bank account in the neighboring country, but it's not the same. You need to be set up in different cultural regions, religious regions, and completely different political type of ideologies. That's when things are really going to be diversified. And you know what this reminds me of? And this is one of the reasons why I love speaking to you so much, Mikhail. You have this positive mindset of what can we actually do? Because we could all be hiding in our homes now in our home offices and read the news all day and worry about nuclear Armageddon. But, you know, what's the point, really? There are always opportunities out there that you can pursue. And we have one life to live. And the world is still our oyster and difficult as it is right now. There are safe havens. There are opportunities. There's all of South America to look at. I mean, most Americans and, and Western Europeans would probably struggle somewhat moving to much of Asia. But South America is, is something that is much more familiar with them culturally, uh, also easier language wise. So and, and Dubai, for example, is, is fully English speaking for all intents and purposes. So there's a huge world of opportunity out there. And we may yet see some positive surprises, you know, maybe in four weeks, a peace deal has been brokered between Ukraine and Russia, because right now everyone has a lot to lose. And I believe in negotiations where everyone has leverage. That means that everyone gets something out of a deal and then you move on. Right now, all parties involved have a lot to lose. And, you know, maybe in four weeks or whenever we've got a peace deal of some kind. So you don't know how this is going to turn. But the bottom line is, if you look at the entire world as your playground, so to say, and as the 
you know, the planet that provides you with all sorts of opportunities, you always find things you can do and that you have control over. And I think it's important to keep in mind, what do we have control over in our day-to-day -day lives? Right now, that includes having a decent supply of food at home, having your oil tank full, having good relationships, using this period to grow on a personal level, use it to learn you know, about the rest of the world as, as your readers and, and followers are doing right now by listening to this podcast or, you know, read books about resilience and how you strengthen your mind to deal with any kind of crisis. And I've lived through a lot of crises in my life. I mean, I'm at age 47. I've lived through, you know, 9-11 and we had some hairy situations in the 1980s. Uh, sorry, in the 1990s, no one remembers this anymore. But when long-term capital management collapsed in 98, we, we also thought that the finance world, the financial industry is about to, you know, face Armageddon, basically. Ultimately, the world does continue somehow. And keep in mind, what have you got control over? Work with that and advance your own course. Well, we had a big conversation, a big meeting about half of today, coming up with new podcast episodes and trying to figure out which direction we want to take the show. We're going to be doing a lot of episodes on homeschooling, permaculture, aquaponics, hydroponics, solar cells, freedom cells, like gathering a network of people who can trade and barter. We want to be doing more agorist type of things. A lot of this personal responsibility where on the surface, it might not look like an expat thing or a financial thing, but actually the real message that I'm trying to bring through this show is freedom, is freedom and liberty. It's just that the vehicle for me is living overseas and the flag theory and the perpetual traveler and selecting different things around the world. But I absolutely think that it's your responsibility to make sure that you have food at home, that you have gas at home, all of the things that you just mentioned. So we're going to be coming out with a lot of episodes over the next six months, which are really going to be focused on these types of things to try to help educate and try to make people aware and build this community where they can share information. I mean, that's what we're doing every single day at expatmoneyforum.com on our private forum. People are always making connections. That was what we did with the big party. It was my birthday party. We had a hundred people come down to Panama. And I tried to tell people, you know, this is not about me. It's not really about my birthday party. It was about the connections. It's about how you can protect yourself and grow the community through interaction with like-minded individuals. So absolutely, I believe that. Also, one other thing I wanted to say to you, have you been following the tweets from Elon Musk where he's saying, oh, we need to get back into fossil fuels. We're not ready for renewable energy. Like this is not viable. Like let's start fracking again. And I thought that if the smartest man in the world can say, okay, we need fossil fuels, let's invest in fossil fuels, then maybe this renewable energy is not what the left would have us believe. Yeah, it's everyone loves clean energy. We're all in favor of keeping the environment clean, et cetera, et cetera. But what's been peddled in the last couple of years was a delusional fantasy, which I've pointed out many times on my blog that the world would ultimately take probably 30 years for a transition to non-fossil fuels. And right now we have a sense of realism coming back, which is a good thing. I think I saw the other day, even the Germans are now saying that they'd rather stick to coal if that means that they can, you know, get off Russian gas. And coal was considered to be uninvestable until very recently. Suddenly it's coming back and I've been looking at coal stocks. There are still some great bargains out there. I think more countries will get back to the idea of, well, if we've got coal reserves ourselves, then at least that's something we have control over. I never believed the world was ready to go for an all-out energy transition. I think this was just simply an industry that was being hyped by special interest. There were a lot of subsidies going into it. A lot of people made a lot of money by selling all sorts of renewable energy investments that frankly don't even have that much of a real prospect of working out for the investors. But it became fashionable and you were seen as a good person which is why people somewhat naively bought into it. And I think there will be a reckoning a bit further down the road. This will turn out to have been quite a bubble, really. Just speaking as a, you know, as a citizen and as someone who likes to have his home heated and be able to switch on his laptop and occasionally travel, I think this sense of realism coming back is great for all of us on a day-to-day -day level. 
will continue to invest into research as humanity into new energy sources, but it'll all be done at the right pace and without, for example, impoverishing the middle class of certain countries. I mean, they, they will still be impoverished probably by other stupid policies that our politicians come up with. But I mean, seriously, renewable energy was primarily a redistribution facility for wealth going to special interest groups. And luckily, someone like Elon Musk speaking out about this is hopefully going to put an end to this nonsense. So you mentioned coal, which was completely beat up and unloved. And now we're seeing that come up. What about the other yellow stuff? What about uranium? You know, we talk a lot about gold. We talk about one yellow, but what about the other yellow one? Do you think that there is anything to that this day? Will nuclear come back into fashion? Absolutely. And I've been waiting for that to come back into fashion for a number of years. And now it's finally taking off. And the Europeans have also recently come to this realization that maybe nuclear isn't so bad after all. Even before the Ukraine-Russia crisis, the Europeans were arguing about potentially labeling nuclear energy as green, which just goes to show there's just such a degree of hypocrisy here. You know, whatever is the flavor of the day gets labeled green or ESG or socially just, etc., etc. These people will just go with any trend that promises them to be able to mobilize money from politics, from lobbyists and NGOs and large corporations. Definitely uranium is a bit of a, probably a bit of a no-brainer investment because that may well be the ultimate energy source for humanity to utilize using micro reactors and they call them the, the fourth generation nuclear reactors that are you know steps miles ahead of what we used to have in the period from the 1960s to 1980s when most nuclear reactors were built and there's not all that much uranium going around and a large part of the world's uranium reserves are located in Kazakhstan that region is currently you know somewhat under pressure politically there are only very few companies that actually produce this stuff in any kind of quantity that's worth mentioning. And yes, there are huge investment opportunities in there. And this this could well be a 10 to 20 year investment trend. So a bit like probably investing in Google in 2004 when they went public or investing into Amazon 20 years ago. This is something that could well work out for an extended period of time. And I have this, I don't want to say it's my, my investment thesis, but I have this gut feeling that Probably the 2020s will be less about tech stocks and more about commodities, about real stuff, stuff that's being produced somewhere or that's being dug out of the ground or pumped up. And these sectors have been so beaten down and so neglected by investors that we're really coming from a very, very low base. And we may just have seen the first inning of this and it has a lot further to run. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more about the energy sector, specifically on the nuclear power, because I mean, I've been following nuclear for 15 years, something like that as an investor going in and out of positions. And I used to be very good friends with one of the chairmen who was working to build the nuclear power plants in the UAE, which is the largest in, uh, reactors to go online. Also, he was Canadian. He was running the Bruce power plants and things like that in Northern Ontario or in central Ontario. And we used to have long conversations about nuclear and did so much research. And it really actually is a very green energy when you compare it to other things. I also have a brother who works in the wind turbines as a technician, a stepbrother. And they were telling me, or he was telling me about these giant blades and how they make them so hard that when they actually have to retire them, there's nothing they can do with them. They're like virtually indestructible and you just bury them. And they will be here for a thousand years. And they have no idea what to do with all these turbine blades. And I was reading a research report oh, a couple months ago now saying that they're actually finding ways of using previously nuclear waste and processing it and getting more energy for it. And now actually these countries that have produced nuclear waste are going to be able to sell it. And it's worth hundreds of millions of dollars because they're going to be able to, to use it. And it actually reduces the quantity of this and the carrying costs for storing this. So there's actually so much to nuclear that you don't hear that side of the story. You only hear about the wind and solar, how good it is, but you don't hear about all the negative things from the wind and the solar. So it's it's important to keep perspective and look at things in a 360 degree view. Absolutely. And yet again, this takes us back to our favorite subject, this being the expat money show. You have to look at the entire world and see how others are doing it. And I always take great delight and interest in what the Japanese are doing. Japan being one of the world's largest industrialized nations, extraordinarily wealthy, very successful. They're very independently minded and they have the ability to go 
against trends when they feel that it's in their national interest to do things differently. They didn't jump on board of this whole bandwagon of the battery-powered cars, for example. They said this is not going to be what's going to work on a large scale. It'll be something else. It could be hydrogen, for example. And nuclear, possibly hydrogen, these are areas where we have to invest more money into research because it has a much higher chance of actually delivering sustainable environmentally friendly, safe, economically effective energy solutions. Littering the entire landscape with windmills, I never believed that was a good idea. And if you you know, go to Germany and you see how they've literally destroyed their entire landscape and countryside with these horrible windmills, and they're still dependent on the Russians for energy, you know. That's the thing. They don't even work. The amount of energy that they produce is so little. But do you know who is investing in nuclear as the West is been canceling nuclear for decades now? China. China has been investing so heavily in the technology of nuclear that they actually export the technology and build plants for other countries. That's what's happening in the UAE. Now, the West is so far behind in those types of things. They've been more than lap. To start now the process again, I just don't know if they'll ever be able to catch up. Yeah. And worst of all, and I haven't been one of these people who've been bashing the West for ages. I, I've always been a you know big fan of the States and Western Europe. But even I have to admit now, when you travel the world and you go to different regions, whether that's the Middle East or Asia, people are literally laughing at us because our part of the world has just completely missed the boat. And it was obvious for years that it's going to happen. And we are not even the most affluent parts of the world now. It depends on how you measure it. You can argue that point. But and there's always this issue of how do you measure freedom? And yes, Chinese people are not free per se, but you know, are we free? Because we can be cancelled at any moment. There has been such a dramatic shift. The center of the world is not Western Europe and the United States anymore or it's at least shifting to potentially elsewhere, or maybe there will be several centers. And by traveling, you can learn a lot about that and you come to realizations that might be quite surprising to you. And this is one of them. Suddenly China is looking really good and we're just simply not. So what about the energy in South America? I know that you've wrote an entire report on Brazilian energy, on different projects in uh, Argentina. What do you think the outcome or the direction of those types of things after the cancel culture going to Russia and the war in Ukraine? What do you think is going to happen with the South American energy companies? This is just an absolutely brilliant example, and I love speaking about this. So there are two stories here really to tell briefly. One is from Argentina and the other one is from Brazil. When President Biden came into office, one of the first things he did was to you know, basically put a, a stop to the fracking industry growing. Even though he said he wouldn't. Yeah. And now they're denying that again. But that's that's a whole separate subject. And we're not getting those politics now. But Argentina is one of these countries that has enormous potential in fracking. And I published a report at the time about an Argentinian energy company, a, a big one, not 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 a, you know, a speculative one, but one of the very well established Argentinian energy companies that was working on exploring some of or developing some of this fracking potential. And the interesting thing was that Biden's ban on developing fracking further led to suddenly there was a lot of expertise, equipment and capital available from the United States to go elsewhere. And I said at the time, well, you know, they will just head to South America and do business down there because they will be welcomed. And that stock is already up 50%. And suddenly Argentina is looking really good because Argentina is producing food. And Argentina has some of the world's largest untapped energy reserves, including in, in fracking. And as I said, that stock is up 50% now. And it's still cheap. And it's probably starting a new multi-year trend going the other direction. And there is a, in Brazil, heading over to you know another large country in South America, there is a national oil company, Petrobras, which is also listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Anyone can easily buy and sell that. Petrobras has done something very interesting. While the Europeans and the Americans were saying, we're reducing our investments into fossil fuels because we want to go all green, the Brazilians said, well, you will still need this oil, so we will invest into increasing our production. And suddenly Petrobras is this giant company that is producing ever more oil. And it's it's actually a high quality oil. It's, it's actually also sort of as environmentally friendly as oil can ever be. And that company has a fleet of 150 oil tankers and can deliver oil to anywhere in the world. Brazil is a neutral country politically. 
So they're not facing any issues with not being allowed to offload their oil in ports around the world. And again, that stock is up massively. It pays an enormous dividend yield for, uh, of over 20%. There are also some issues, as always, with just about any country. Brazil is currently looking at subsidizing local fuels, and there might be a special tax on the company because suddenly the oil price is so high. But honestly, I mean, pretty much every country is looking at similar issues right now. Whenever there's money to be redistributed, politicians come in and, and take a piece of the pie. But haven't they learned enough? Because I know that the, what was it called, the car wash scandal, that politicians getting in there, didn't they kind of learn their lesson a little bit? They did very much learn their lesson and they cleaned up Petrobras to an extraordinary extent. And it's a totally different company now than it was eight years ago. But whenever companies, large companies and very visible companies make huge windfall profits, a politician will step forward and say, we need to put some extra taxes on that. And in a way that doesn't really hinder the investment case. Yes, it's annoying to see that as a shareholder, but that's just the reality that we have to live with. And I think the Biden administration is even talking right now about a windfall tax on on fossil fuel companies. I think I saw something the other day. Yeah, no surprise there. But bottom line, South America is suddenly looking very good. I used to live in Ecuador. Ecuador is heavily dependent on oil exports. And on a positive note, they have oil to export. And at the current prices, suddenly, a country like Ecuador that faced some economic problems recently is also getting a huge windfall profit as a country. And, you know, what does that do to the overall economies down there? What does it do to property prices? These are terrifically interesting questions, especially when you consider to either diversify your investments or potentially even diversify where you live and where you spend time. South America is probably one of the biggest beneficiaries of everything that's happening right now. Absolutely. Actually, it's kind of funny. When I was in Brazil last year, I was there for six months. And one of the things that I was doing there where we were trying to broker a deal to start bringing UAE oil to Brazil because they've changed the laws and they have opened up the possibility to actually import and it doesn't have to be done through Petrobras. And Petrobras was actually the other guy, the ones that we were going against. And I have so many connections in the UAE from living there for so many years. And my friends were the ambassador to other countries. So we had a lot of inroads on that. The deal ended up falling through, unfortunately, because I probably would have made, if not tens of millions, possibly even a hundred million dollars on if we could have structured this properly. But unfortunately it fell through. But looking at the dynamic and learning all about the energy sector in Brazil was really fascinating during my time there. Yeah, and all of this is going to continue for years to come. We've seen a bit of a reset in the perception also of different investment regions, and South America is a big beneficiary of that. What about your opinions on Venezuela? I've been reading reports saying that the U.S. might be cozying up to Venezuela after all of the sanctions that they've imposed there because they're going to need to be getting more oil. I've obviously read about that as well. In a way, it doesn't surprise me. It yet again shows you what hypocrites all of our politicians are, you know, whether that's on the left or on the right or in the center, they will do whatever appears to be furthering their cause of the moment. Venezuela has obviously been one of the baddies that was not allowed at the table for many years. And suddenly there's a problem and the Venezuelans might be able to help out. So yeah, let's get them back in. And Possibly that is, I'm not even arguing whether that's the right or the wrong thing to do. It does again, once again, have investment ramifications in the sense that Venezuela is obviously completely bombed out in investment and economic terms. There are probably fewer countries on earth that have it have had it more difficult than Venezuela in the last 10 years. I've never been there, but everything I've read was absolutely atrocious. And at the same time, they have one of the world's largest oil reserves, especially relative to the size of the population. It is a very messed up situation with regards to their national oil company. And you won't get this going overnight, you know, going back to the Germans who believe that within a year they can switch to a different energy source or a different energy provider. These things take years to set up properly and to get going again. So I'm not sure how relevant that is going to be in the short run, but the cards are being reshuffled. That's the major message here. Suddenly, countries that were not allowed to sit at the table are being invited back in. And the question is, what does that mean for us? And you know, do we have to base any investment decisions on based on the opportunities that may come out of this? A couple of years ago, I had a, a friend of mine. Well, he's, he's still my friend, but a couple of years ago, he approached me. He's an Argentinian lawyer, and he was in Venezuela scooping up penthouse apartments and beachfront properties and abandoned hotels for pennies on the dollar. And I mean pennies, like buying a penthouse apartment for 
$5,000, which 20 years previous would have been hundreds of thousands of dollars. Buying up kilometers and kilometers of beachfront properties in Margarita Island off the coast of Venezuela, just hoping for a political change there to see what would happen. And I always kind of thought it was kind of funny that an Argentinian doesn't have enough speculative investment in his backyard that he has to go to Venezuela to really like that is a risk appetite I've never seen on pretty much anyone else out there. We'll see how that plays out. Have you ever looked at investment opportunities in Venezuela? Is it even possible? Do they have any type of equities that are listed around the world on other exchanges? It's very difficult to get exposure. I did have a look at it. There has always been the speculation that some outstanding Venezuelan bonds might be repaid. And that idea has been bandied around for years, never really got anywhere so far. There is a stock exchange, you just can't get any access to it. There's nothing you can trade as a normal private investor that gives you exposure to Venezuela. So maybe as and when it becomes feasible to invest there, maybe property is really the, the asset class to look at. I don't know. But it's very early stage. And I mean, Venezuela is crisis investing at its best. This is a country that's been thoroughly destroyed by its political class. And there's, you know, not even the infrastructure anymore to just easily invest and help them out by, you know, sending money there. So as we wrap up, we're, we're getting close to our hour here. Do you have any advice for people as they're watching their portfolio and any advice for them as this war is unfolding in front of us with Russia and Ukraine on how to handle their positions if they are exposed, if they are exposed in the energy sector, any of these types of pieces? Yes. So my number one advice really is to not rush things and to not feel like you have to make decisions overnight to completely you know, reposition your portfolio. Make sure you've got some liquidity, make sure you've got some dry powder so that if markets come down further, you can average down. Generally, get out of debt. That's always a good piece of advice. We are in this situation yet again where it's really not good to have leverage because we don't know where this is all going. And most importantly, broaden your horizon, educate yourself, listen to the Expert Money Show where you're getting all of this amazing information from you, Mikel, and your guests. And then take your time to assess and to come to conclusions. My experience with these crisis situations is that they last quite a while and you have time to make decisions. There is generally no need to rush things. We are, as we've mentioned several times in this program, there are probably a couple of trends emerging from all of this that will be multi-year trends or a one decade or two decade trend. So we're, we're three weeks into this. Take your time is my number one piece of advice and educate yourself, have an open mind, look at the entire world rather than just your home country. Yeah, absolutely. And one point that you made there about timely information. I mean, normally I record these episodes can be weeks in advance or something like that. We're recording this just mere days before publishing. So the information that we've gone through today is as up-to-date as we could absolutely make it. We pushed back the recording of this to the last second. And for the kind words about my show, thank you very much. Another fantastic resource for people out there who want to get educated about all of these types of things. Sven actually prepared a special report for us. If you guys go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash undervalued, all one word, undervalued, it's going to redirect you to Sven's website, and he's going to be giving you guys a free report on one of the Argentinian stocks that we talked about today. I highly encourage you to read it. I am a big fan of your work, Sven. I have read so many of your research reports. You have no idea. I actually, I laugh through them because the, the tongue in cheek that you write in sometimes is very appreciated. I hate reading so many types of research reports, which are so dry and so boring. They want to put me to sleep. Yours, I'm like cracking up. My wife looks over at me. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, nothing. Never mind. You won't, <laughs> you won't get it. But no, thank you so much for coming on the show, Sven. If my listeners want to find out more about you, if they want to follow up with you, anywhere else we should send them besides where I just plugged you for? Well, I'm always happy to personally answer emails. That's probably one of the unusual things about me in the sense that I have quite a few readers, but I still take the time to reply to everyone individually within reason. <laughs> so if anyone has any particular questions, concerns or ideas, then, you know, just drop me a line and I will definitely get back to you in person within usually 24 hours. Sometimes it takes a bit longer, but always within a relatively short period of time. Okay, Sven, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Mikael. It was great being here. Really enjoyed it. 
Okay, what a fantastic interview. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. Before you go, I want you to check out expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language. My buddy Ollie Richards has released some new courses on learning a second language, and I really like the work that he's doing. I believe in it, and you know what? The methods actually work. I know because I've tried them on myself and my family, my kids. We've all taken these courses and we've had amazing results. So if you guys want to be a digital nomad or an expat, if you want to live overseas or homeschool or world school your kids, if you ever want your children to have an advantage, make sure that you guys are checking out second languages, third languages, fourth languages. They actually become a little bit addictive after a while. Me and my family, we speak three languages at all time. We're always speaking in English, Chinese, and Spanish. And now we're starting to learn Portuguese as well, which actually happens to be one of the new courses that he's going to be releasing. So he has a whole bunch of different courses out there. The programs are amazing, truly, and they actually work. So go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash language and check out his work. Okay, we will see you next week. This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.